Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. I appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God and uh, we as a church here at Bluegrass Pike Baptist in Danville are praying that you're getting some help from these Bible lessons here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. It's a privilege to have an open Bible before me and I trust that you're getting some help. This week, let's turn to Acts chapter 10, the book of Acts in the 10th chapter. While you're turning there, let me bring you up to date on what has been going on here in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is one of the most abused books of the Bible uh, and also one that has caused many to become confused. And uh, it doesn't have to be that way if you can come to, to come to grips with why the Spirit of God writes a book of the Bible. The purpose of the book of Acts is to give us a narrative of the early church, how the gospel left out of Jerusalem and went to the uttermost parts of the earth, how the Spirit of God revealed more and more truth about this gospel and showed the great details and magnitude of all that's entailed when a man believes the gospel and began to show some things such as the fact that uh, the Gentiles were going to be getting in on the gospel blessings as well. And uh, you say, well, they knew that from the beginning. No, they didn't. Uh, the, in fact, Acts chapter 10 is great proof. Uh, Peter had to be uh, persuaded through a vision and through uh, a voice of the Spirit to tell him, you need to go, nothing doubting. And he still wasn't real sure why he was going to a Gentile's home. So what the book of Acts is, is a transition book that shows us how that God helped the Jews break away from their law system and their system of sacrifices to come to understand that Jesus Christ is enough. And it's also a book showing us how that the gospel privileges moved outwardly to the Gentiles and they began to be saved just as the Jews had been saved. And so we see all of these transitions in the book of Acts. If you are unaware of the transition in the book of Acts, many times you will begin to question why your church does certain things. Uh, basically, I could describe the book of Acts this way. It is much like a bridge. A bridge will span two land masses together and carry you safely over a dangerous place. But listen, a bridge is no place to tarry. A bridge is no place to build a house. The book of Acts is just as inspired as the gospel of John or the book of Genesis or the book of Romans. We're not questioning, amen, the inspiration of any book of the Bible. It's inspired. But listen, God wants us to rightly divide the word of truth and understand why he wrote books, for what reason he wrote them, so that we can stay focused and not get confused or deceived by false teaching. Now, a book will span, I'm sorry, a bridge will span two land masses, but it is, and it will get you safely across. Uh, amen, whatever the valley or the river is you're going over. But it's no place, as I stated before, to build a home or to tarry very long. In fact, if a man is found tarrying on a bridge, we assume he's about to uh, get himself killed or possibly commit suicide. And I've known plenty of Bible teachers who've committed spiritual suicide by going to the book of Acts and uh, piecemealing, plucking uh, their favorite verses about the Holy Ghost or tongues or the laying on of hands, not realizing that simply God is showing you that he's revealing more and more truth. And so by the time we come to Acts chapter 10, we've seen a black man saved in Acts chapter 8. That's a, uh, one of Noah's sons, the, the uh, son of Noah named Ham. In Acts chapter 9, uh, Shem is saved in the apostle Paul. When we come to Acts chapter 10, it's Japheth, if you will, uh, that is saved. So we see that the gospel was for the whole world, Jew and Gentile, and it's going outwardly. So we come now to Acts chapter 10, 
And let's pick it up in verse one and read down to verse seven and talk about some of these things. Look at it with me. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse one, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So I want to call your attention to some things here. Cornelius, this Italian, uh, he's, as I mentioned earlier, a Japhethite. He is uh, praying. He is doing some things here in his home that are commendable. He is praying. He, we find out later in the chapter that he had also been fasting. Uh, he had prayed to God always. He feared the Lord. He was a devout man. He was a, a generous man. He gave to the nation of Israel to be a blessing to them. So he obviously respected the fact that Israel's God was the true God. He could see that. He recognized that. And he honored that. And so we're going to talk about a few things here. Number one, I want you to notice this man Cornelius we see in these first eight verses of Acts chapter 10, a man with some light, a man with some light. Now you say, what do you mean? I mean this, God does not leave anyone uh, in the complete darkness. The Bible says, according to John chapter one, verse seven, that Jesus Christ lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Everybody has some light and certainly Cornelius has some light. He obviously recognizes the nation that has the true God. He fears that God. He prays to that God. He gives alms to that God's people, the covenant people known as Israel. He feared God. He served the Lord with all of his house. But he is in need of a message. He needs the gospel still. He is still, are you listening? He is still an unsaved man in the New Testament sense. He has not believed upon Jesus Christ. But he is following after the light that he has. Mark that down. God gives light to every man. And listen, if whatever you do with that light will determine how much more light God gives you. Now you say, what light are you talking about? Well, there's three rays of light that I could speak of. And there's more than that. But the first obvious ray of light is creation. According to Psalm 19... The Bible says over there that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. It goes on to say that day unto day and night unto night they utter speech. In other words, creation is preaching a sermon 24 hours a day. What does it say? It says that there is a creator. If there's a creation by default, by deductive reasoning, if there's creation, that means someone created it. There is a creator. Now, I realize that we have some educated idiots today that would tell you that, no, no, there was no creator just because there's a creation. Can I submit to you a simple question? What would you think about my mentality? What would you think about my uh, 
grasp of sanity. What would you think if, would you consider me insane if I showed you this watch? I have a wristwatch on my left arm right now. It was given to me by my dad before he passed away. And listen, it has a face. It has hands on it. It, it functions. It's got a band on it that fits on my wrist. And uh, I can glance down at it and know what time it is. What if I told you that this little watch with all of its parts, when you take the back of it off, you find out that the the inside of the watch is very intricate. Uh, there are movements, there's hands, there's all kinds of things that are functioning uh, very precisely to give me a true, accurate reading of the time throughout the day. Now, what if I looked at you and said, you know, this watch right here is a great watch. And you looked at it and said, oh, it sure is. It's nice. It's a Movado watch, actually. And what would you think of my mentality if I told you, well, you know, this watch just happened over millions of years. It just happened to come together. I mean, there was some hands and this black face and this gold trim uh, and all of these little, uh, you know, watches and, and wheels and all of these things. And, and uh, I just kept shaking them up and people shook these, this box up full of all these pieces, parts, and they just all assembled themselves and keep perfect time now. It just took it millions of years to get put together like that. What would you think of me and my thinking? You would think you're crazy. Well, can I tell you something? That's no crazier than scientists who reject the idea of a holy God that created things when they say no evolution did this. Uh, and brought life from nothing and trees and sky and clouds and bushes and and mountains from nothing that just happened friend you don't really believe that evolution is an easy thing to pretend to believe because it helps soothe your conscience because you're afraid to meet the creator in judgment your conscience condemns you and you silence your conscience by trying to explain God away with your science falsely so-called. Let me say something. Real Bible-believing Christians believe real science. This question's been going around a lot lately. Well, you believe the science, don't you? Science is real, the signs say. Well, no one ever said science wasn't real. What we're against is not true science. True science is observable. What we're against is what Paul warned us about when he says, beware of science falsely so-called. It's called science, but it's not. Evolution is a tragic joke. It's not science. You can't observe it. It's a theory. That's all it ever was. And it has snowballed uh, in this day and age of God-haters and Bible-rejectors into a safe haven where you can go in there and pretend that, well, if you don't believe this, it's because you're ignorant. No, if you can't look at the sky and see how the seasons change and recognize how that creation is uh, a functioning order, and then you're going to look at me and tell me that someone who was des didn't design that intelligently, that there's not a divine design behind it. I mean, just look at the human body. I'm telling you, uh, whoever amen, uh, can look at creation and not understand that there is a creator is just purposely closing his eyes to light. Creation is light. Secondly, God has equipped us all with a conscience. That's light as well. You say, what's in the conscience? It shows us right and wrong. God has hardwired every man's conscience with an understanding of right and wrong. The conscience it condemns us 
or it can be silenced. And many people sear it. They silence it long enough to sear it. And the conscience is from God. You say, how do you know? Because I remember one man, I've told you the story, challenged me about what about Chinese people who've never heard the gospel, never been to church? Are those people condemned and going to hell? My question for him was simply this, does this man in China have a neighbor? And he said, yes. I said, well, for argument's sake, let's say our Chinaman is a farmer and he has the best crop he's ever had. And the neighbor comes over in the middle of the night and steals half of his crop and puts it into his barn and starts selling it to make a profit. I said, is our Chinese man going to be upset? He said, well, of course he is. I said, why? He says, because he goes, he's mad because the guy stole from him. I said, who told him stealing was wrong? He doesn't have a Bible, doesn't have a church, doesn't know Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior. How does he know it's wrong to steal? Why is he mad? Because he has a sense of right and wrong hardwired into his conscience. Who put that there? The creator who gave Moses the Ten Commandments gave every person a conscience. And that conscience is hardwired with the basic knowledge of right and wrong according to the Ten Commandments. Why else do tribes in the deepest jungles of Papua New Guinea have laws that reflect the Ten Commandments having never read a Bible. Have you ever thought about that? You know what they do to thieves in some of those tribes? They cut their hands off. You say, what's the big deal? The big deal is they know that stealing is wrong. They will have public trials for men who steal other men's wives. Why? Because in their conscience, they know that adultery is wrong. On and on it goes. You're not going to get away from the light. You may shut your eyes, but the light is still there. We could go on and on and talk about these things. Creation is light. Conscience is light. Amen. Christians are supposed to be light. The change that was brought by the power of the gospel in the lives of people who have believed down through the ages. How are you going to explain that away? How are you going to explain a hymn book that has over five to 600 songs about one man in it? Listen, you're going to have to explain that. Why is it that down through the ages, hundreds and hundreds of years, people have sang and written songs about Jesus Christ and his redemption? Why, if it was all just uh, psychological, if it was all just religion, amen, you can't find me other religions that have songs about one man. Now, somebody's going to call me and say, no, uh, the, the Buddhists, they, they have chants and the, the Krishnas do this. Oh, I know they chant and they moan and they do all that stuff. But I'm talking about where are the songbooks about Buddha? Where are the songbooks about Muhammad and Allah? They don't exist. You know why? Because those are dead religions and they bring no joy and no peace to anybody's hearts. But I'm going to tell you a Christian hymn book is light. Why? Because it shows through testimony of song that for hundreds of years people have been delivered from the guilt and bondage of sin. And when they're delivered, people want to sing and they want to shout and they want to praise the Lord. So they write songs about the one who saved them. So a hymn book condemns you if you reject the gospel because it's light and it shows you that other people have been delivered. Why not you? This man, Cornelius, that we're talking about in Acts chapter 10, has some light. He has responded to the light. He is praying and he is seeking the light as much as he has of it. So what does God do? He sends an angel into this man's home. And what does it say? It says, this, when he looked on this angel, he was afraid. He says, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. 
So here's what we see. We see Cornelius, who is still an unsaved man in the New Testament sense. He has not believed upon Jesus Christ. His sins have not been uh, redeemed. He's not been redeemed. His sins have not been cleared. But yet he is following the light that he has. So you know what God does? He sends him more light. God is just and righteous and gracious and merciful. And he cares about saving sinners way more than you and I do. And friend, you don't have to worry about the, quote, heathen that have never heard. They've heard a lot more than you suspect they have. And they know a lot more, amen, than some people with an education in this country. Amen and amen. Uh, Don't worry about the heathen. What about you who have heard? What are you going to do with the gospel? But right here, God sends more light into Cornelius' life. And he says, send men to Joppa. So what he's sending for now is we've seen a man with some light. That's Cornelius. Now we see a man with a message. Who is he supposed to send for? He said, send men to Joppa, verse 5, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now, I have mentioned this on the broadcast before, but I want to bring it up. Old brother August Van Ryn was the first man I ever read who pointed this out. And you know something, it should convict every one of us who are saved and a child of God. He pointed out that this angel that was sent from God could not give the gospel to Cornelius. Now think about that for a minute. This angel came. What's he say? He says, you send men to Joppa and you call for one Simon whose surname is Peter. And verse 8, he says, he shall, I'm sorry, verse 6, the angel told Cornelius, he, Peter, shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now you say, what's the point? Let me ask you a couple of questions. Did the angels of heaven know that Jesus Christ had died? Oh, yes. I mean, we read before in Luke 22 how an angel came to the garden when Jesus was sweating and praying and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood and pouring his heart out in agony. The Bible says he was in an agony. There was an angel that came and ministered unto him. They were watching him suffering in the garden. They watched him suffer. And listen, Jesus said, I could currently call 12 legions of angels that would come and deliver me. So the angels were hanging over the balcony of heaven and watching the Son of God being smitten by sinful men, enduring the contradiction of sinners against himself. The angels watched that whole drama unfold, and they watched the Son of God in his earthly body as the Son of Man be nailed to the cross. They saw that. They watched over his tomb, and when the women showed up early that Sunday morning, listen, there were angels all around the tomb. There were angels sitting on top of the tomb, angels in the tomb when they returned. Listen, the angels were well aware of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, that the angels desire to look into the gospel sent down from heaven by the Holy Ghost. They, however, have not been commissioned and are not given permission by God to give the gospel. And right here, the only thing that angel can say to Cornelius is, I need you to call for a man. Now, what does that prove to us? What a privilege for Christian people to carry the gospel. Have you ever considered that the angels don't have the privilege to tell the old, old story? 
You know, I've met people before. You ask them, are you saved? And they say, oh, let me tell you. And they begin into, to go into a big, long story about some wild experience they had. I've had people tell me they saw angels and lights and everything else. My friend, let me tell you something. Are you listening? If you get nothing else out of this broadcast, get this. You can be baptized and go to hell wet. You can see lights and angels and go to hell weird. You can work your fingers to the bone serving God and go to hell tired. You can give all your money to churches and to good causes and go to hell broke. Friend, you don't need to see an angel to get saved. You need to send for somebody who knows what they're talking about. When someone starts their testimony by telling me they saw an angel, immediately I realize what I'm dealing with. Someone who's either deceived or trying to deceive me. I don't care if you've seen an angel or not. Let me ask you a question, those of you who hang to those kind of testimonies. What do you do with 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when the Bible says that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light? How do you know it's not the devil? Well, you wouldn't know if you didn't go to the Bible. You see, that's where you get into trouble. When you start basing your Christianity based off of your experiences, my friend, we're not subject to your experience or my experience. We are to be subject to the word of God, which doesn't change. The angel showed up and didn't give Cornelius a big experience. Instead, he gave him some instructions and he said, you call for a man. Why? It is men and women that carry the gospel message. This man, Cornelius, was a man with some light, but he needed to call for a man that had a message. And can I tell you something? The message that Peter carried was a serious message. How do we know? Look down in verse 22. The Bible says this. When they came to get Peter, they said unto him, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. So the message is a serious one. That angel warned him, you need to go call for Simon and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. That's a pretty serious message. There's something that Cornelius had not done that he ought to do. There was a message he needed that Peter had. The angel couldn't tell it because he wasn't commissioned. Angels aren't commissioned to give the message. But rather the angel said, you better call for a preacher. You better call for Simon Peter. Listen, your eternity is serious business and you cannot afford to be wrong. The gospel is a serious message. It's a warning from God that except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Listen, it's a simple message, not just a serious one, but a simple message. Say, how simple is it? Peter came to Cornelius' house and in verse 36, uh, Peter began to open his mouth and preach. And he says, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Listen, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we, Peter said, are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. So there's the gospel. It's a simple message. What is it? Jesus Christ 
was hanged on a tree. Now we get into deeper details than that in the New Testament. Why was he on that tree? Oh, he was bearing our sins, Peter said. 1 Peter 2.24, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He was bleeding and suffering and dying under the wrath of God as he died on the cross of Calvary. But that's not the end of the story. That's only half the gospel. I'm what I call a full gospel preacher. I'll tell you the whole gospel, how that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. Here's the full gospel. And he raised from the dead. He rose from the dead the third day. And sure enough, that's exactly what Peter tells him in verse 40. Him, Jesus Christ, who died on the tree, God raised up the third day and showed him openly. He said, we're witnesses of his resurrection. And he says in verse 43, to him, give all the prophets witness. In other words, the Old Testament that Cornelius was familiar with. He says, those Old Testament prophets, they all give witness to him. And he says, I'm here to tell you that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. The Bible says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Now, you have to read chapter 11 to understand what took place in Cornelius' heart. The Holy Ghost fell on him and all those that heard the word because they believed on Jesus Christ who died on the tree and rose from the dead three days later. And when he heard the promise that whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins, my friend, in their heart they believed unto righteousness. That's an amazing thing. There was no official invitation given. There was no every man standing, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, and -and so-and-so playing on the piano softly. I see that hand, I see that hand. No, none of that manufactured stuff. And listen, I'm not against giving an invitation. I'm just saying we overplay that thing. The truth of the matter is God speaks to the inward man, and that person believes on Jesus Christ when God points out to them that Jesus Christ was their sin bearer. And they better flee for mercy. They better run for mercy. Listen, some of the best Christians I know were saved in our church and never actually stepped out into an aisle and came forward. Say, what'd they do? They heard me preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And in their heart, they did business with God and believed upon his name. And then they confessed him publicly through baptism later. I've had people come to me and say, I got saved a month ago. I got saved yesterday. Tell me about it. Well, while you preached, I thought about God. I thought about what Christ has done for me. And I realized I'd never received him. And in my heart, I prayed and I asked the Lord to save me. And I believed upon his name and God has shown me I'm a Christian and I need to be baptized now. Friend, that is what the pastor lives for. Why? Because that means that God was doing business. They weren't moved by my emotional appeals or my pressure. No, they heard from the Lord. And that Bible, remember what it says. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. But the business transaction between the sinner and God is done in their hearts. And listen, the Bible tells us in chapter 11 what Cornelius and his household did. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Read it for yourself. You'll find that in Acts 11, verses 14 through 17. But right here, Peter told him the whole truth. And that was what he ought to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what Cornelius did. So you see, we see a man with some light. That's Cornelius. And because he was seeking after that light and living up to the light that God and responding to the light that God had given him,
God sent him more light. And that light was what? A man with a message. A man with some light, and then there's a man with a message, and that's Peter, who comes and preaches the gospel faithfully and clearly and simply to Cornelius, his kinfolk, and all of his household. And friend, there was a great, great move of God that day, and many sinners were saved. Can I ask you something? Have you ever believed upon the Savior that Cornelius believed upon? All that Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. My friend, you're a sinner. You've transgressed the laws of God. And if you got justice in the day of judgment, you'd hear God say, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. But the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So why not turn to him in faith today and take Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior and pass from death unto life? May God open your heart to that reality. May you do it today in humble faith and repentance. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. May God help you to see it and may God help you to do it even today. Thank you for tuning in. Until next week, may the Lord bless you as you seek his face.